Our first reading this morning comes to us from Leviticus chapter 18, verses 1 through to 4. So Leviticus 18, verses 1 to 4. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, I am the Lord your God. You must not do as they do in Egypt, where you used to live, but you must do, but you must not do as they do in the land of Canaan, where I am bringing you. Do not follow their practices. You must obey my laws and be careful to follow my decrees. I am the Lord your God. This is the word of the Lord. The second Bible reading comes from Romans chapter 12, verses 1 to 9. Romans 12, 1 to 9. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Please take a seat. My name is Ian, one of the ministers here. Let's pray that um, the mics would behave and that God would speak to us and help me to speak clearly and truthfully. Father in heaven, thanks for this day. Thanks for this place. Thanks for each other, the chance to have lunch together. And we do ask, Father, that by your Holy Spirit, I would speak clearly and truthfully 
and that you would help us to hear your voice as we look at the word that you inspired through your apostles. We pray for this, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you're kind of newish, we're working our way through one of the books of the New Testament, the book of Romans. We're up to chapter 12, as you heard read. And uh, I would like to start with showing you a picture or two. Some of you will know this is a very, very famous picture, and so it should be, of a German bloke in 1936 on June the 13th, my mother's 14th birthday. And um, you'll know this picture. Many of you will have seen this that everyone, he's going past off to this great ship that's there and almost everyone is doing the appropriate salute except this one man who's not even hiding his contempt. His arms are folded and uh, it's quite impressive, this man. Now, there's been some argument about who he is. Um, there was a story that I used to believe that I've, I've subsequently discovered historically is probably not true for a number of good reasons. And the story was that I had thought until further research that the reason why he didn't like Hitler was because he'd fallen in love with a Jewish woman and knew that how, what rubbish the system was. But better research has shown, and not done by Christians, but actually his reason was, they just have described in a number of articles, and here's the guy's name, although I've got it in reverse, Gustav's his surname. I've really managed to confuse the morning, haven't I? That um, Mr. Gustav... Uh, all the articles I've seen on it have said, and you can see the resemblance for the pictures in him, etc., 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 etc. They just say because of his Christian faith. Right? Uh, the love story is much cuter, which I think is the reason why it's gone. But of course, it is a different sort of love story. Is why he hasn't. His allegiance to Jesus meant that he would not uh, be a good boy. He was a non-conformist. I wonder how how many of us see ourselves as non-conformists that we're people who are willing to take a stand for what's right, who are willing to raise our voice against opinions that we think are not true, uh, and even take a risk. As that man did, that was a very risky thing that he did, wasn't it? Um, to, to simply not be a good boy. To not do the easy thing and just do the outward sign, even if he didn't believe it in his heart. And the passage that you heard today has got a very strong call for us, if we're Christians, do not conform. It's easy enough to think of Christians as a bunch of conformists. I know when I was a young atheist, the Christians that I knew at school, I thought were a bunch of conformists. But now looking back, I can see they exactly weren't. They were nicer boys than we were at some level. And they didn't do the mass produced thing that we all did as free thinking individuals and spend our time getting drunk and stoned, etc. So we just thought they're just good little boys. And of course, they weren't. In the culture of Sydney Boys High, they were dangerous radicals. Uh, they were just misunderstood. And the reason we're going to look at why we should do that is in this passage here. And we'll come back to this question of being non-conformist. You heard it in Romans 12, verse 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this age or this world. We're going to look today, just briefly, at three things from this passage. Where do we get the energy to do this being Christian thing. It's the energy factor is so important. People often know what is right, but they don't have the passion and the get up and go to bother to change. Secondly, what is the essence of this Christian living according to this passage? And thirdly, what is the sort of existential threat and challenge that we do in our day-to-day existence as Christian people? Well, firstly and briefly, the first two points of the briefest, so don't get too happy at point two. 
And if, you, if you're rationing out the lollies. Um, firstly, from verse 1. Therefore, and as Andrew told us last week, whenever you see a therefore, you've got to go and ask why it's therefore. It, 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 it's a, it's, this is true, therefore this. And if you, if you don't get the sense of this, you need to go back. As Andrew said, if, if you can't join at the end of chapter 11 that we looked at with a great hymn of praise at the extraordinary wisdom, the depths of his wisdom and his generous grace to us, if you can't say the amen that finishes chapter 11, you really need to go back to chapter 1, where from, from 1 to 11 is this beautiful description of the mercies of God. Not just one act of mercy, but this enormous generous-heartedness of God. He does not want to give you what you deserve. Most religious systems are built on the idea of getting what we deserve. I'm a good person, people say, as if that's what Christianity says. Now, it's mercy that I need, and it's mercy that you need, and it's mercy that comes through the death of Jesus. That's, that's the thing. What he says here is, therefore, I urge you. And urging is a, a word from someone who loves you, to get you to be involved in something that really matters. It's not, a, it's not the word that sort of the company sergeant major might yell at you in a, ma- in a marching around the area. It's, it's a word of love and passionate tenderness. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercies too, and then he begins to explain the Christian life. And really, this is the great turning point. 11 chapters explaining the mercies of God because we're so thick-headed and because it's just so not the way that people think about how you relate to God. It's been said for hundreds of years uh, in a particular line of Christian thinking in Europe, rightly, that religion is grace, Christian life is gratitude. Grace, gratitude. Most people don't get the grace, so they don't appreciate that we're doing, we're doing our life of love out of gratitude, not, in, not intending to score points in some cosmic system. In view of God's mercies, you're saying, there it is in front of you. You've seen God's mercy in Jesus. You've seen him dying for you. You've seen his patience. You've seen the full freeness of of grace and no condemnation. Confidence with the hope God has given us with this promise that on the last day, you will be given the okay and not given what he deserves. In view of God's mercy, then move on to this. That's the thing that energizes. If you find yourself not having the energy to love God, to love your neighbor, to love your husband, to love your wife, to to put up with whatever, the question is to go back to drink again, to feast upon, in the way that Jesus tells us to do here, to remember what he has done in love and mercy for you. Grace, mercy. Secondly, well, what is it that he calls people to do? And one of the beautiful things about the Bible is it uses diverse images to help us at various times. There's not just one way that it speaks, but they all dovetail beautifully. Listen to what he says here. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercies, to offer your bodies. Shouldn't that say something about your heart or your spirit or your soul? But no, no, it's not what God says. It's to offer your body. This is one of the things that I know some people find surprising when they finally start to read the Bible instead of just assuming they know what's in it when we don't. It's to find just how very positive and very concerned the scriptures are that God who created you as a body person 
as a sort of enmeshment of spirit, soul, body, all wrapped up together in one, is not interested in the release of the, from the body, is not interested in the spirit moving on. The new creation, eternity, heaven and hell, I mean, sorry, not hell, but heaven, will there be a new creation, you will have a new body, a resurrected body like Jesus' own resurrection body. He's concerned here with what you do with your body. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Or literally it says, offer your bodies as sacrifice, living, holy, and pleasing. So the first thing is God is concerned with what we do with our very concerned with what we do with the bodies that he's entrusted with us. And we are to give ourselves as a sacrifice. Now you might think, but hang on, isn't Christianity all about his sacrifice, not, not ours? Yes and no. Romans 3 is very clear that it's because of his atoning sacrifice that we can be put right with God, right? And confidently, humbly know that we're okay with God because of his sacrifice. But here is saying our response is also to sacrifice. But what is a sacrifice? Well, people make all sorts of little sacrifices, don't they? You might make a sacrifice in order to buy a new car. So you sacrifice so you can indulge yourself. That's okay. You might make a sacrifice when you're studying. You might make sacrifices for your children. You might make sacrifices for you. At Anzac Day, we talk about sacrifice, don't we? People sacrifice. They're living their lives, building their little lives, and suddenly they think, right, the nation's under threat. I will go and join the... That's a sacrifice. And some of them pay what we call the ultimate sacrifice with their life. Now, in the word sacrifice, in the, in the, in the um, Roman world that uh, these guys lived in, the city of Rome, sacrifice meant death. It meant the death of an animal. In fact, ancient historians uh, say sometimes that actually religion in the ancient world was all about sacrifice. You went to whatever temple of your choosing, or two or three if you wanted to sort of you know, maximise your opportunities of getting a blessing, and you'd offer a sacrifice. Sometimes a small cheap animal like a pigeon, sometimes a more expensive. Depends on what you wanted the god to do, how big the request was. would be dependent on how big the bribe would be, and basically it was a system of bribing the gods. Religion in those days, as it does in many cultures, has very little to do with ethics and morals. That's a, that's a the fact that people assume that religion and spirituality is tied up with morals and ethics, how you treat your neighbour, is a, it, there are, it is in other areas, but in our culture it's decidedly a Christian thing. The people, we can get rid of the God thing and just do the ethics. No, no, no. Most, in many cultures, you can be quite a rotter at work and at home and other things, but be very spiritual because you'd go to the temple, you'd offer a sacrifice. But the sacrifice was you take something that's alive and you take it and it's yours and you give it to God by killing it in the temple. So this happens in the Old Testament as well, doesn't it, with Jesus? Um, The Passover lamb, once you'd offer a sacrifice for your sins and and for other things. And remembering, if you're a decent middle-class person in those days and you were a sheep rancher, you'd have maybe 20 or 30 sheep. So to give a whole sheep is not an inconsequential thing to give that much of your business. If you're really, really wealthy, you'd have 100 sheep. That was a huge flock in those days. So to take a sheep, and it had to be a good one, not one that was about to die anyhow, I'd save your call to the vet, right? it had to be one that was perfect like you should have been. And you, it's sacrificed to God, it's given to God, it's killed. Right? 
That's what it is to sacrifice something. It was yours. It's no longer yours. It's given at this point to the gods. And that's why when we get to chapter 14 and 15, there's all this weird stuff for us in Romans about the meat offered to idols. What's going on with all that? Who cares about the meat? And it's not about being a vegetarian for the reasons that friends and family members of mine are vegetarians, about ethical concerns and environmental concerns. The concern that they had was that almost all the meat you bought in a butcher shop in Rome or Corinth or those places had gone through the temple. That's where the animals were killed. A certain amount was kept by the priests. A certain amount was burnt to the gods. A certain amount was sold to the butcher shop. So when a person began to follow Jesus, I think, hang on, hang on, should we have anything to do with this meat that's come from the temple? That's, that's where it was abattoired. So to, what, he, what the apostle is saying is, because of God's mercy to you, offer your bodies as a sacrifice. Now, one of the things that we've talked about is the way that Christianity has, wherever it's gone, brought human sacrifice to an end. My ancient relatives, the Celts, we've actually dug up at least three bodies of people that we killed as human sacrifice. We strangled them, bashed them in the back of the head, and when you threw them in a well to drown them, the threefold death. It's a beautiful culture, the Celtic culture. But um, we, we would do that only if we really needed it. You only killed one of your kids if you're in real trouble. And Christianity comes and God damn it, it's wiped that out. That was such a nice part of our culture. But, but it does seem as if it's asking for human sacrifice, doesn't it? So it says, offer your bodies as a sacrifice. But then oddly comes the next word, living and holy. So it's a sacrifice that's living. Now that's, all, that's like an oxymoron. You know those words uh, where you bring together two opposites? Um, the one that's often used, which I think is unfair, is military intelligence. But I remember hearing an army person say back to a minister, I've got another oxymoron for you. He said, what? He said, a short-winded preacher. <laughs> you know, if we're going to be rude, we deserve a slap across the head. But it's where you bring together two things that don't seem to go together. Sacrifices are not living. They're dead. That's how they're sacrificed. Normally. But what God is doing, he's saying, what is the response to God's mercy? We give our whole self, our bodies, everything, as a sacrifice to God, but it's alive. So I was sacrificed in 1974. I gave myself to God. Now, I didn't think of it in these terms. It was only as I began to read more parts of the Bible. But I was conscious of the fact that I was no longer in charge of my life. In fact, I did it this morning, and some of you might have noticed uh, my nice tattoo when I was handing out the bread, and after a while I started to use my other hand. Because um, when I first became a Christian, I would forget when I'd go to work that I belonged to Jesus. So I would sometimes write, as I did this morning, his, just to remind me that I belonged to him. And years of relating in a certain sort of way and being a certain sort of person was irrelevant now. I had to work out at work and with family members said, what does it mean for me to be his? I'm a sacrifice. I don't belong to myself. That's what it is to become a Christian. Now, often people sort of whiz around the Christian area for quite some time before they get that. When we become a Christian, when we offer ourselves to God as a sacrifice, living, it's a bit like getting married, where you make that terrifying promise. Good, that's not me. Excellent. Um, well, you make, a, you make this huge promise 
that come what may, I'm going to keep loving you. Right? That's what I'm going to do. But then, that, and that's done of the day. You get asked, will you do it? Yes, I'm going to do it. That's what this, it's, there's a moment here where a person's right, I'm his. I'm no longer mine. As it says in 1 Corinthians 6, right? that we are temples of the Holy Spirit. You are not your own, 1 Corinthians says, 6. You are not your own. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. It's all over the place, isn't it? The Bible taking so seriously and importantly our physicality. Our energy comes from his mercy. Our response is, in essence, is that we give ourselves to God and say, right, I'm yours. There's a sense in which when it says, offer your body as a sacrifice, living, holy, the word holy almost isn't necessary. Because the essential idea of a sacrifice is it becomes holy. Holy is something that was ordinary and then you give it to God. So in the Old Testament, you could have a holy place. It was a building, like many other buildings, only slightly better, but it was his. You could have a holy bowl, which is not a bowl that liked to meditate and pray, but it was a bowl that was only to be used in the worship in the temple. Holiness means his. So it's kind of the same thing. So we offer ourselves to God because well, what else can we do? There's a beautiful Bob Dylan song where he sings. He, he sings. He does write some of the best Christian songs ever. Um, it's better if he just sings them rather than talks because he's sort of incoherent when he talks. But he, he's got this beautiful song, What Can I Do For You? Because he sings about what Jesus has done for him and it, the response is, What Can I Do For You? And he give yourself to me as I've given myself to you. That's how it works. Well, now we're going to come to the third point and the point that, in a sense... I found in the last couple of years, I've been, want, I've been wanting to speak from this verse for some time because I just think it's so important to us people in Canberra. And can I say the more educated you are, the more you need to hear this verse. Because we who are educated overrate ourselves massively in this area. And I, can, I say this as someone who, I'm not a scientist, I admire science, I think it's a wonderful, does wonderful but I'm more, my, my numerous degrees, um, one of the bit, have been in the areas of liberal arts. So that, that's my thing. I was going to be an English teacher before I moved on to other things. But can I suggest, particularly if you've been trained in the liberal arts, this verse is especially important, right? where it says this, offer yourselves as a living sacrifice, pleasing. This is your proper worship. This is the response to God. Listen, the very next thing he says is this, do not conform to this present age. Or some of the translations say this present world. But it really is, that it's very clearly the word for age. It's saying, if you want to be involved in sacrificing yourself joyfully to God, the great threat to that ever being a reality is conformity. You, you're going to need to be an, a non-conformist, which will be uncomfortable externally. And frankly, friends, sometimes it's uncomfortable to us. Because don't think we've gone to uni and school and watched hundreds of hours of televisions and movies and zillions of hours on social media, etc., without the culture of our age deeply infiltrating our heart. So very often the thing that the Bible clearly says we feel can't be right, can it? Which tells you nothing about what's right. 
It tells you everything about your culture. This is the fun thing when you talk with people who have been missionaries in various parts of the world. What one culture feels about Christianity can't possibly be right is exactly the opposite of what our culture feels. But he's saying, you do not be conformed. This is an external pressure that shapes you. It squeezes you into its mould to the pattern of this age. And the word pattern is a sort of the idea of something being stamped onto a soft metal. where it, it, it's, The picture goes onto it. So he seems to be saying you cannot live the life of a joyful sacrifice to the one who sacrificed himself for us if you don't take seriously the need to not be a conformist. It's my experience that when I talk with Christian friends about this, we're very good at noting how other groups are conformists. Adults are particularly good at laughing about children and, and, and adolescents. Right? Um, we can see how they are. But children often... Remember when I was a young man decades and decades ago, with my friends, we would laugh at our parents. What pathetic, what pathetic conformists they were buying their little house, having to have the right car, going to the right holidays, right? Being all in a huff and a fluffle when something unusual happened. We used to mock them. I just think every group can see the conformity of others, but the one I need to study and that you need to study is where's the pressure on you? Do not be conformed, but be transformed, is what he says in verse 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your minds. We'll get to that. And we'll look at, it, we'll look at the rest of chapter 12 uh, next week as well. Let's watch a bit of Monty Python. That's great fun. And, and I know for many people, my, my non-Christian mates, they love that scene because they think, yeah, yeah, all you religious dopes, you know, you're going to say, Jesus, tell us how to live, tell us how to do sex, tell us how to do all this stuff. And they say, no, no, you've all got to think. We've all got to think for ourselves, they all say together. But remarkably, almost without fail, they come to the same conclusions. So when I meet educated, atheistic, secular, maybe people who believe in God but don't take him seriously in Canberra, my, oh, my, they think exactly the same as people like that did in Canberra. And on almost every issue, you can, you can tell where they're going to go. Because we're all thinking for ourselves like heck we are. 
right? We are mass-produced in our culture probably more than any time in history where we're watching the television. Now, there's nothing wrong with watching television or seeing movies or social media necessarily. But you need to realise that all of those things are helping you be shaped by the pattern of this age that it says here. Here's the way that Jesus and the apostles see this question of ages. There's this present age, which is seen basically to be an age of sad, tragic darkness. Right? This present evil age, it's called, called in Galatians. Now, there's lots of good in it left over from God's creation. But it's fundamentally in its systems and its ways of thinking and its approaches and its directions, evil. Hostile to God. What is the great proof of that? We, we really mustn't take this for granted. When the God who is light sends his son into that age, we murdered him. This myth that we, oh, if only we could find God. No, no, no. He's got to be exactly like I think he is or we'll kill him. You want to know what this age is like? Look at what happens when Jesus comes. I remember how shocked a friend of mine was, um, who's really, you know, he's a modern chap, so he's into Buddhism. Um, just to let him know that one of, the, one of the countries with the highest death rates of missionaries is Tibet. Missionaries that were sent into Tibet died at a, and went missing and were murdered, etc., massively quickly. But we have this picture of Tibet as this beautiful sort of Camelot of this happy... No, no, no. When the opportunity... There are religious forces there that really hate the gospel of Jesus. There's this present evil age. There's the age to come. And the hope was that the Messiah would bring that in. What Jesus does is that confuses us in a sense is they're no longer butting up against each other like the present evil age and the age to come. They're overlapped. So we, when you put your faith in Jesus, you become a citizen of heaven, is what the Bible says. You belong to God, and yet you're living in the world. Which is why in John 17, when Jesus prays for the disciples, he prays for them because they're living in the world. Protect them. He said, I've given them your word, and the world hates them. I'm sorry to get worked up about this, brothers and sisters, but if we don't face the fact that although the world is beautiful... And there's much good in every culture and much to be enjoyed. Fundamentally, we're living in enemy territory. Strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, threats. You know that SWOT analysis? I think one of our weaknesses as modern 21st century, ever so clever, you know, modern folk, is that we don't like to take seriously this teaching in the Bible. That's all the way through the teaching of Jesus that there is this either ornus and we are living in enemy country. And the threat, he says, to pick up the last T, to us living the opportunity that God has given us to be his people and to live joyfully with him is conforming to this present age. I was driving somewhere yesterday and I heard the new ad for Radio National, which I, I like Radio National. It's the station I listen to most by far. But they had an ad that I thought was a joke, but then I shouldn't realise they wouldn't be sending themselves up. You know, there's all this fake news. We'll, we'll give you the truth. We'll help you analyse. Radio National, which I like, is hopelessly doctrinaire on every social issue. Their position is completely predictable. I remember driving off towards uh, Hornsby, uh, not Hornsby Hospital, um, Canberra Hospital to pick up Alison, and I was going past where you turn off to where we used to live, and I remember where it was because I was so shocked. I heard a bloke on Radio National 
Professor someone from somewhere who seemed to be speaking about some of the dangers of euthanasia. Now, Radio National's got a predictably clear position on euthanasia, which is they're for it, for it, for it, for it, right? As they're against various other issues that we, well, you know, you know where they're going to go. And then, then I realised after that 20 seconds, oh, no, no, he's not. He's actually getting ready to send that position up. But I was kind of excited. That's why I remember where I was. I thought, wow, Radio National's actually allowing someone from the other side to speak, right? Because, see, when, if you don't realise when you listen even to the best of our news sources, it is doctrinaire dogma. It is the spirit of this age. It's the, it's the what's the German word for it? Zeitgeist, that's the word. It's the zeitgeist. It's just in the air that we breathe and move in. And it's fine for a boat to be in the water, but if the water gets too much in the boat, you're in trouble. This is saying, do not conform. You will not be transformed into the image of Christ if your mind is fundamentally informed by our culture. Here's a culture that's got skyrocketing rates of anxiety and suicide and depression and lostness and yet is absolutely confident that it knows the way to live. To disagree with it is to be a fool and to be dangerous and deadly. Right? Because if you disagree with it, you'll be accused of being murderous, hateful, the cause of suicide. So if it was true then, then I think the Roman culture was like swimming in a badly polluted river. In our culture, I don't know if it's worse, I don't think we're swimming in a sewer, but there's an enormous amount of stuff that we simply need to face. You do not live in a neutral world. You never watch a movie that isn't, so, or almost never watch a movie that isn't saying something. You watch the Disney movies for the last 10, 15 years. They are absolutely preaching. They're preaching a thing which is called expressive individualism. I'll lose that word. It's, it's a view of life in the, in the old-fashioned movies. I'm not saying they're better or worse, but we just need to be aware that when our kids watch these things and when we watch them and we sing along with the songs, etc., in the old days, the hero was someone who sacrificed themselves and their desires and their hopes for the family or the tribe or the nation. Nowadays, in almost all of the modern movies, and I'm going to go and watch, I like them, but you need to realise you're being preached to. You may as well be sitting in a, you know, a mosque or something like that and hearing people speak to you. It's going to be a different religion, different worldview. You now, you sacrifice your allegiance to your family for personal happiness. I may be an ant or I may be a pig, but I want to fly or something like that. I'm going to be true to myself. You don't even know what yourself is. The person who knows what you are and knows your brokenness is your creator. It's not a question of listening to my inner self. My inner self is a muddle. It depends what day I listen to it. And then what websites I look at to inform me and push me along. This is saying to brothers and sisters, we need to be aware of the fact that we must not allow ourselves to be conformed. And friends, if you're not aware of the areas of danger in your life, if you're not aware that you're struggling, you are probably being like the dead dog that swims really well down the current of the river. Right? As I say, even a dead dog can swim down a river like that. Now, these are deep things. We watched a movie that my daughter took me to yesterday for my birthday. And there was a shorts for an Elvis movie that's coming out. I think we'll go and see that probably. 
The only clip they gave you was a statement of this doctrine, was the Monty Python doctrine. Be true to yourself. Hang the damage it might do to yourself ultimately. Who cares what God says? What would he know about being human? See, in Romans 1, it's really clear. When you suppress the truth about God, you lose the truth about being human. Read Romans 1 and see the immediate impact of a person or a society that turns its back on God is the loss of humanity. But we all know it's true, don't we? Because we've been taught it's true by our movies. They are great areas where our values are changed. Um, by the news, by how things are reported, by what is left out. If you find yourself as a Christian happily echoing the ethical position of Radio National, which I, as I say, I listen to all the time, you are in great danger. Because on all the important social issues, on almost all the important social issues, they will be heading in the opposite direction to Jesus and his teaching in life. I'm sorry to give you the bad news, friends, to say you need to be aware and awake and alert and critical thinking, but you do. Do not be conformed. Because if you allow yourself to be conformed, you will not live as a living sacrifice pleasing to God. You need to allow yourself to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We'll go into that next week um, because that's where Romans 12 takes us. But just think about your mind. It's this amazing contraption that God has given, the brain and the thought processes, etc. And that's how the Bible says that renewal happens. That's how faith comes through the mind. When Jesus is trying to convince his disciples to have faith, he says, consider, think. He doesn't say stop thinking. He says, think. We need our minds to be renewed. And yet, many of us, if we took a time chart, we'd notice if we worked down how many hours a day we spend on the internet, watching television, various sorts of social media, whatever, compared to the minutes that we spend listening to God's word, it's terrifying. Garbage in, garbage out. If we will not spend time letting God rebuild our minds, we will get it wrong again and again. And you'll always find books that will agree with you. I've shared this once before, and I need to be quick on this. What I find tedious, that's not the right word, what's worrying is that young, particularly liberal arts educated Christians, They've all got the same problems with Christianity. And at least two or three of them were problems I had in 1973 when I was an atheist. Jesus cannot be unique. There really isn't a hell. Human sexuality is whatever we've been told it is on our various TV programs and songs. I do wish when I'd meet someone who's saying, look, I'm not, I'm not going to my conservative Bible thing church because, you know, I've got, I've got, I don't want, let me, let me, can I tell you what the areas are? Gender and sexuality. Well, who would have thought? And you're thinking exactly what the culture's saying. And you found someone who can twist the Bible for you just nicely and you can always find someone, particularly from America, who'll do that for you. Re, you know, reshape it. Or, you know, that hell... The things that are uncomfortable, that take courage to hold maturely and lovingly are the things that you'll find people who will happily... And the other thing I find surprising about Christians when we do, they don't come and talk to the ministers. They don't come and say, hey, look, I'm, I'm a bit concerned about this. They just 
take the view, well, this, these people obviously don't know what they're doing. They're conservative. They haven't read anything. They don't know anything. I'm, on the other hand, quite sophisticated. No, you're just a mass-produced conformist. We need to take ourselves in hand, friends. Um, do not be conformed, but be transformed. Allow God to renew your mind through the scriptures, through reading books that love him, through attending things like church and home group, etc. And when you're there, not doing the thing you can do even at a life group, where you just enjoy playing with the ideas. Let me ask the question now. There's no one in my home group that does this, but I've been in enough in years past. People who just like to ask the question that shows how clever they are. No, no, no. Can we look at the passage and try and hear what God's saying to us? And not show how clever I am, because I can ask the intellectual question, right? Um, but to hear the word of God and let it challenge us and me about what I do in the areas of my career, in the areas of my money, in the areas of housing, in the areas of retirement, in the area of writing wills, in the area of child bringing up, if you're responsible for children. All the big areas of life, you, you know exactly what you should do because you're a mass-produced creature. We're new people in Jesus. We belong to a different age. We have completely different priorities. Alison and I went to a church some years ago, a church that I really like. Every time I'm in Sydney and get a chance to go, I love going it because it's a great church and they were very generous in supporting Alison when she was a missionary in Mongolia. We went there and there was a, a missionary had come back from somewhere in, and I think it was Fiji, and they were talking about giving a bit of a report to the church that this church generously supports them. And they talked about this guy who I think was from Indian background, uh, Muslim, and he had, he had become a Christian through the ministry that these guys are doing. And there was a sort, of a, a sort of a general wave of, you could feel that people were pleased with that. But here was the utterly distressing part. When they got near the end of the story and told us that he'd become a lawyer, they broke into applause. I just think that's enough to weep, isn't it? It's enough to make you weep. This is a good church. You know, really, it's, it's a great church in many ways, the church we're talking about. But, but that you get a mild cheerfulness that the person is no longer going to hell but is going to heaven, has been adopted by God, is, is the friend of God, and you go, oh, that's good. I've become a lawyer. Oh, 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 oh. Right? And it's not even a professional area. It's sort of a, traditionally been a tradesman sort of area. But that sort of thing, I think, it was, a, it was a very sad moment. And what is a great church? We need to be careful of how we're conformed at a deep level. The things that we value, the things that we applaud, the things that we fear, how we rate things that we're doing at God's... I've got to shut up, I know that. Um, I'll tell you a story from the, from the Sudanese community. You know, the southern Sudan has been savagely attacked from northern Sudan for decades. It was, a genocide was going on, basically. And Australia's taken quite a few refugees. Not enough, but quite a few from there. And I heard one of the Sudanese elders... The southern Sudanese are mostly Christian, which is the source of their problem. Um, they were being, he said this, he said, our, our community has survived decades of deadly persecution, guns, bombs, all sorts of things. But we don't, we're frightened that our children will not be able to survive the power of your shopping centres. Because they're saying... That was clear, but it's just the, the obsession with wealth and the possibilities and the options that wealth can buy. None of it's wrong. They're not saying you shouldn't be wealthy. But you see, he, I think the Sudanese man can look at our culture and say, your obsession with wealth, 
and, and options and superficiality is probably more deadly to us than the bombs of the North Sudanese Air Force. Do not be conformed. Let your mind be renewed lest you be, in, and I know, and I've got one more thing to say, it'll be quick. Some of you have heard me say before, one of my great fears for myself and when I worked at a boys' school was, um, is, that, is that we would be, for us here, that we would not be Australians who happen to be Christians, but we would be Christians who happen to be Australian. That the fundamental defining shape of how we view career, children, money, retirement, time, all that stuff is Jesus rather than we're basically like other Australians. Just a tiny little bit of a Christian twitch on it here and there and not being quite as extreme in some ways. That's what this is saying. Give yourself as a sacrifice to God and for goodness sake, don't allow yourself to be conformed to this present, blind, sad, tragic, overconfident age. But let God transform you. And the way we work with that is by opening our minds to the scriptures to learning of him as, as he, as he um, offers us. So the bloke in the picture, the dangerous nonconformist, it's exactly where the Christian lives. It's complicated, but we've got to see it really clearly. This is the great threat right, to our living and enjoying and filling out in the transforming power that Jesus has, which we'll look at more next week and more briefly. Let's pray. Father, this is, a, this, is a, this is a strong, tough passage for us. Thank you, though, that you have sacrificed your son in love for us. And it's a great privilege for us to give ourselves back to you. Holus, bolus, body, mind, soul, the whole bit. Help us, Lord, to become aware of where we are conforming to the present age, where we are not being transformed by you and your word and your truth that we may know that the joy of walking with you and shining as a light for you in this needy age. In Jesus' name, amen.